1: Hi, I'm Patrick Kane, I'm a triple amputee, I'm an ambassador for both OSSA and the UK Sepsis Trust, I public speak, and I also work for a healthcare communications agency, and welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast.
0: Patrick, it's a real joy having you on the series, Uh, as a TEDx speaker, and as a man who doesn't let anything get him down, and a real inspiration to me and so many others, it's a real privilege having you on the series. Let's begin with a bit of life story. So, so tell us about your journey. You're, I think, am I right, you're about 23 now. Correct. I'd love to hear you packed a lot in already, <laughs> but how, how did life begin? And you know, let's be straight to the point. How did you become a Triple Amputee? What was what was your story and, and what have been the life lessons and who's been the inspiration to you to be the leader you are today at such an early age?
1: Yeah, I guess um, to answer that we're gonna have to go right back to the beginning. So I was born with uh, the normal complement of limbs, but um, when I was nine months old, I became um, rather unwell. Um, I was, again, uh, in the way that babies are, not very responsive, crying, very irritable. Uh, And we didn't know it at the time, but it was the beginning of a three and a half month stay in hospital uh, when I had meningococcal septicemia. Things were very touch and go for a very long time. Um, and there are a number of factors along the way which, um, uh, which where I got extremely lucky. Uh, and I came out of hospital just after my first birthday, but I was missing my right leg below the knee, all the fingers on my left hand, and the second and third digits on my right hand. Um, so that's sort of how things started. Um, but to go on, I mean, since then, things have been quite normal for me. Um, I learned to walk on a prosthetic leg, um, I went to a normal school, I always did things quite normally, and so from there, um, things, haven't been, things haven't been too different, I'm, I'm pleased to say.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a, a really key point, is I remember listening to one of the ladies who ended up uh, being in charge of the Senior Vice President for Cabin Crew at, uh, at Emirates Airlines, and she went to work in a deaf school and uh, in Australia, and um, she began to teach them differently from how they've been taught before, in that she said, look, we're not gonna see this as disadvantage. you're gonna compete with the others. So they took on squash, and and they started to win all sorts of things. But of course, the the school governors got all a bit upset about this because they weren't gonna then be seen as different because they were competing with the other schools on a normal basis. But I I do think your attitude defines your altitude, as someone said. and the way that your your mom Emma uh, thinks about you and others think about you would surely define how you thought about yourself. Do you want to just say a bit more about how people treated you, and then therefore how you thought about yourself?
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I um, as when I say things have been normal, I think you you hit the nail on the head. And that I was never treated differently, and everything was um, was expected of me as it would be for any other for any other child. It's funny you mentioned this this school. I had a similar example where the one thing I was told I wasn't allowed to do as a child was to play rugby. Uh, All of my best friends played and I wanted nothing more than to play with them. But the school deemed it too dangerous for the other children to tackle me because of health and safety. And obviously it's quite a strong metallic leg. And I found this made me so angry as a child because it wasn't even I wasn't allowed to do it. It was because of them. And um, my solution around this was that I decided to play rugby without my leg on. Um, Now, I really don't recommend it. I was awful, but uh, I think it was sort of me trying to prove the point that I was going to be able to do, um, going to be able to do whatever I wanted, really.
0: Yeah, well, I I admire you for that. I I was a really bad rugby player, even with with (laughs) all my limbs. So I have no excuse, but um, I I do admire you for trying to overcome that. And as you were growing up, um, who, who were the people that you looked to as role model Leaders, or not necessarily perfect in a way. None of us are. We're all work in progress. But, but that you you took solace and encouragement and example from them. Who, who would you say?
1: Um, it's a really good question. I think it was something which often surprises people. I never had many disabled heroes, uh, for want of a better word. I um, I never. Although I took an interest in in that area and prosthetics, I, I was never drawn to. Um, sort of role models in that way. I think I had lots of more stereotypical role models that everybody looked up to, be it athletes or um, sort of adventurers of old. I remember one one that I used to, um, had an obsession with from quite a young age. Someone, Are you aware of George Mallory? I am aware of George yeah. Mallory. Yeah, so yeah, George yeah. Mallory from a young age, I found a really fascinating story and that famous, famous quote of, um, why climb Everest? Because it is there. I remember being just found the thought encapsulated a lot of things that I agreed with, um, at that age. Um, so yeah, I would say I had slightly more normal heroes in, in that sense. Um, one of my heroes absolutely growing up was a man called Dr. Parvis Habibi, who was the man responsible for saving me as a child. Um, but he, yeah, whilst an incredible doctor continues to do crazy things such as swimming the channel every summer and cycling from London to Paris with a swim in between. And I mean, not just a doctor and so i was always inspired by these sort of herculean efforts but of that i could relate to but maybe not uh well not currently emulate myself but anyway
0: let's um let's get him on this podcast series don't you think is he an inspiration to you yes i
1: mean you couldn't pick a better example to be okay to be perfectly honest
0: well let, after this let's let's uh, get you to drop him an email i would love that and invite him to be your guest on this show that would be, mm. be a nice touch i think to it'd you. be perfect Okay, um, anything else about life and growing up before we, we move into some of the other questions that you and I were gonna chat about, but anything else that, any kind of key messages you'd like to get across?
1: Um, again, I think that when things changed for me um, would have been when I was 13 years old. So I'd never used a prosthesis on my arm uh, before. And then at age 13, my stepfather saw an advert in a newspaper um, for a revolutionary bionic arm, um, and it sort of began the process of. Uh, we looked into it, and um, to cut a slightly longer story short, I became the youngest person in the world hey, to be fitted. That is so cool to be fitted with this bionic arm. Um, awesome! It's it's just the most incredible piece of so it. futuristic, sure isn't it? it? Yeah, you can I'm sure you can hear but it whirring can, away. What can you do with it? So, so um, yeah, so there are there are two inputs. So my arm goes till about here. Yeah. Um, and there are two inputs into the arm. So there's open and close. And the way you do that is by tensing either the muscle on the top side of your forearm or on the bottom side of your forearm. So it's a very simple, almost flex of the wrist, which controls it. Um, but then you can do different muscle patterns, um, so to say, to make it do different movements. So if I hold open, and then if I'm to gesture forwards, I go into a point, which might be useful for typing. Um, or if I go open, then gesture left it goes into a pinch for picking up you know a very fine object and so you can do all these different brick patterns um and it allows you to do almost anything i mean i got this when i was 13 years old and the same day i learned how to use it i learned how to tie my own shoelaces and cut up my own food so um Amazing. yeah it does it does everything to be completely honest
0: yeah, um, and, and and on your right hand, which you've lost a number of the the, the fingers biggest, there.
1: Yes. How,
0: how how do you manage to use it between the two of them?
1: So I'm actually right-handed, um and I think it's because I had 13 years without using the prosthesis. So I mean, I'm I've always been very dexterous with this. And I, mean, <laughs> I can't even do that. <laughs> it's funny because it comes in naturally to me, and I think it's probably you know they're all the same length. So in. In a, in a way, they're just, you know, shorter fingers, but um, <laughs> I, I I would say I have above average handwriting and um, yeah, so I'm right hand dominant. And if I don't wear the arm for a day for, for one reason or another, um, I'm more than I'm more than capable without. But um, yeah, the arm was a big changing point growing up. And I mentioned, obviously, it allowed me to do individual tasks, uh, which I previously wasn't able to. But I think there also came a change of confidence and attitude and ability with it. And people became curious in a inquisitive way rather than a sort of, oh, I wonder what happened. It became, I wonder what that is. And it really, that change in attitude to how I was perceived, um, also obviously changed my confidence growing up. And so um, yeah. it was an incredibly important thing for me and I uh, haven't looked back.
0: No, and, and I think attitude is everything. And that, that, that famous line does does he take sugar? Well, Like you know, like just because someone's sitting in a wheelchair, you know, does he yeah. text? I can speak, you know, and talk to me, yeah, exactly. Do you find that you get people sort of pity you and and go, Oh, are you all right? And this guy, or do they talk to you normally? I mean, or is it just it varies from person to person?
1: Varies a huge amount from person to person, um, and I think varies a lot on the circumstance that I happen to be in. If I'm fiddling with something or struggling with something, someone might, um, out of purely the goodwill of their heart, but try and interject to help me, and I'm, uh, I think I've, <laughs> unfortunately, ended up rather stubborn and wanting to prove that I'm able to do it all. So often, often the answer is no, but the ask is always appreciated. Um, I think I notice a huge difference when I am wearing the arm as opposed to not um, in people's attitudes. I think uh, when I'm not, there is a lot more pity in, involved in the look. Um, but also, I mean, the arm is carbon fiber is black metallic. It's quite a cool looking thing. And I had the option of making it look flesh colored, but I, I personally think that the way I've chosen for it to look is also a symbol that I'm happy to talk to people. You know, this isn't trying to fit in or blend in. Um, and so I think it is a statement to people that I'm willing to talk, talk about it. And hopefully that's how it comes across.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, and very much in our, in, in all our conversations today, um, and, and I think it's almost, I suppose it's a bit like diversity and inclusion. It's celebrating difference. We're not all the same. Everybody's different. Um, with one or two of my army friends who, who um, through mines uh, and off route devices, lost legs and arms. Um, with their legs, they found that they tended to outgrow the prosthetic and mm-hmm. then, then had to get another one. And it can get quite expensive. You had to have a number of different prosthetic arms or have you managed to keep the same one?
1: Yeah. So, um, legs, obviously losing my, my leg at about, uh, well, at about a year old babies grow incredibly quickly. And so, uh, I'd probably be having about two legs a year until, um, the age of 18 when things unfortunately slowed down a bit. Um, and then arms do just grow a little bit slower than legs as well. So I'd say maybe I'd get a new arm socket every, every two years or so. Um, but obviously things uh, change over time and even the change of your residual limb might change and be healthier or not. So there's a lot of there's a lot of variation in there. Yeah. Um, but the good thing is that the components which um, which don't change, such as the foot, foot, the ankle and the actual hand itself, you can swap out. So always slightly shocks people this one. But if you just. <laughs> so you get a new one of these, but this can uh, be transferred onto the next one. So. <laughs> brilliant um there are ways around it that's great and does it fire rockets as
0: well things like those? not
1: yeah i've asked for that in the next version to be Act. honest but i'm hopeful
0: yeah no, that's brilliant okay and i'm always interested in people's highs and lows in their life so you uh, if you were to pick your most joyous and uh, joyous i haven't been drinking yet i promise <laughs> your most joyous and happy moment in your life which would you pick and then if there was a dark moment in your your life uh, what would you describe and, and what you learned from each of those situations?
1: Yeah, it's an excellent question. I mean, I'd, the standout moment for me has to be um, when I was uh, 13, no, um, in 2012, rather, so 15, I was uh, asked to carry the Olympic torch through Trafalgar Square. Um, cool. And I mean, it's a moment that I will never forget. I mean, just this feeling of euphoria and very proud to be asked to do such an incredible thing in such an uh, uh you know an historic place so um that was particularly special and actually as i think about it it's lurking somewhere behind me oh, yeah uh, oh, over, over yeah. in the corner there that is cool. um that is yeah cool. it's an amazing, it's not, it's an amazing cool. thing i haven't met have.
0: anybody else who's done that that's,
1: uh, <laughs> so that i can't i can't look past um but um and that was a culmination of lots of things you know um being asked to do that um yeah, I'm trying to think what I, I mean, in, there wasn't many learnings from it other than it just being the proudest day, the proudest day of my life, but it's one that I, um, I will always, always cherish.
0: Um, stay with it, Patrick, because- Yeah. You say there weren't many learnings, but we, we all have highs and lows just day to day. And when you're down and finding things difficult, surely do you not think back to that proud moment uh, or even recreate it when you were doing a, your TED talk or speaking today? And that while you might have bad days, you were recognized there and there were fellow um, amputees who were in the Olympics doing amazing things. Wasn't that something quite special? I don't want to put words in. your. Yeah,
1: no, no, you're you're completely right. Um, I remember feeling especially proud. I mean, even the little slogan underneath, you know, you might have had someone else might have carried it might say athlete or, you know, had their little description in and mine said uh, an inspiration to all who know him which I remember feeling wow. amazed that they had that was the descriptor that they'd chosen for me um that is which yeah exactly nothing more than a really lovely thing for someone to say about you um so <laughs> okay, that, I, probably, I, I probably want that on my gravestone, actually exactly uh, and if I can say where it came from as well it's uh, it's a great thing yeah. So you're right. It was it was an amazing moment. I mean, there was a a certain irony which my which we giggle about that they chose one of the only places in in the UK torch relay which had stairs for me to do, which obviously I'm absolutely fine with. But just thinking, God, another obstacle to yeah. uh, you know had to sort of these dreams of uh, things going horribly wrong. But thankfully, it all went well on the day.
0: Yeah, it, it wasn't um, like chariots of fire as you were running along. <laughs> no,
1: exactly. I was concentrating very hard to. Uh, not make that the case. I got to the top of the steps and they told me to wave. And yeah, I previously you, you, holding you
0: unwind the arm and wave with the other hand.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah, exactly. This is the thing. And I, I remember thinking I hadn't planned on waving and I had to very quickly work out how to not drop it in front of all these thousands of people that were there. But um, yeah, thankfully I, uh, I, uh, I pulled it off.
0: You pulled it off, as they say, just like you pulled your hand off. I'm very... <laughs> OK, well, that's that's a very special moment. I, I, I haven't got a moment like that. That's That will stay with me. Um, what about a, a, a dark moment and, and what you learned? I mean, you know, you had a number of dark moments, but but which one would you pick, and, and perhaps what it taught you about leadership, resilience, anything? But just tell us.
1: Yeah, mine's interesting because um, growing up, there were obviously people that might have uh, made funny comments here or there, but I always understood that it more often than not came from a place of uh, curiosity and and not understanding rather than a place of of malice. And I think as soon as anyone got to know me, they Um, or I was able to speak with anyone, any sort of comment was explained and understood and was no longer an issue. One moment which does stand out though is when I was 18 years old, I got contacted by a TV producer who was uh, looking to, um, well, ask me to go on a TV programme. And I knew something was different at the beginning when she said to me, um, before I tell you about the programme, do you mind if I ask if you're single? And I thought it was just a slightly bizarre way to ask, you know, start a a thing and i said yes i am and she said "And how long you um have you been single for i said well i'm 18. she said oh so you're new to the dating game and i was thinking this is going a really interesting place anyway she told me all about this show and told me it was very tasteful and, and done really well but it was for people in my situation and she said before i go into it um would you say your disabilities held you back in your dating life and i said no i don't actually and she said oh well we still think you'd be perfect anyway she sent me through some more information about the show but never revealed its title I um and I I unfortunately said I'm not interested you know it wasn't wasn't going to appeal to me fast forward uh, a year or so and I was watching the undateables on tv and I know it's quite a controversial tv program but I actually think it's shot rather well I think society has deemed these people undateable and the show actually goes a really long way to proving that they're not um so I was curious to see if it was that tv program I looked into it and it wasn't Unfortunately, the TV program, which I was asked to go on, was called Too Ugly for Love with a a question mark at the end of it. And there's no like there's no, you know, spin on a TV program with that sort of name. And I remember thinking I'm lucky that I've always been quite confident. But I remember thinking how awful that they're targeting people who they're assuming rightly or wrongly uh, that are low on confidence. Mm. And. And, you know, it just seemed like quite a humiliating way of phrasing something which didn't need to be done. And I guess they needed a, a catchy name to entice people in, but just thought it was a, had a didn't have the intentions, any good intentions behind yeah. it. And I think that definitely put some pressure on me, uh, you know, later on to kind of, is should I, I never saw my, my disability that way, but should I, and is it going to cause me problems? And I, you know. Fortunately, it hasn't, but um, I, I, that was from a place where I was coming from a really good place. And you can imagine that if you're asking someone who's in a bad place, it, can, it could have some really horrible repercussions and it went on for multiple seasons, that show. So just goes to... I think it. what shocked me was that I'd, uh, I'd always found I could sort of correct the individual uh, and educate and help to teach. But uh, if a show like that's going out on TV, unfortunately, it just goes to show that society as a whole might not necessarily be as accepting as I, as I previously yeah. thought. And it opened me up to a lot.
0: I'm afraid it's a sign of a very sick society. Mm. Uh, if that's what reality TV shows become like. And if Donald Trump becomes president and has no experience of politics, but he's a reality TV show and a wrestler. I mean, it's just it's just ludicrous. So let's go on to, since we're talking about Donald Trump and and uh, TV producers who have no morals and ethics, hmm. let's talk about MQ um, <laughs> on the eight elements of the um, inspiring leadership compass. Um, and i um, really interested in the first one, which is sort of your morals, your values, your integrity, what you will do, what you won't do. And, and what's happened for you when you let it slip a bit and you didn't you didn't keep to the values that you, you you espouse tell us a bit about that
1: yeah so I, I found this really I've really enjoyed reading the answers to be honest um I think for me I try the more I thought about it I've, I feel like I'm quite strongly opinionated about lots of things and quite moral with my stance on lots of things but I couldn't quite work out how to sort of distill it down into something a bit more tangible other than just thinking lots about things the more I thought about it, the more I realized that actually the most important thing for me is to be the best version of myself, right? And that sounds very simple, but it essentially means that I'm not trying to, I'm trying to avoid being anyone else and being authentic to myself. Um, And it's funny because you mentioned, what do you learn when you let them slip? Well, it's quite an easy one to learn from because I'm only competing against myself in that sense. So it's not, you can't beat yourself you know, up with it and say, I have to be perfect, I have to be this. But as, as long as you continue to pursue those things which you know yourself and be that your attitude towards something or your response to something or even um, on the more day-to-day, your commitment to responsibility and um, it could be anything. It means that you don't need to, or you only need to put the pressure internally. Um, so i make a lot of mistakes, and I'd be the first person first person to admit that. But as long as the effort continues to be applied in that positive direction, you can't go wrong with it, which is quite an odd way to phrase it. And it's not trying to be too lenient either. Um, but I feel the drive in that sense.
0: Yeah. And, and I must say, I've got you know four children of my own age, 25 to 29, and um, you know, met lots of their friends and things. But I, I do find that at the age of 23 you are mature beyond your age by a considerable amount and just a, a very worldly view of life um there's no response to that i just want to acknowledge it um it, pq is the next one meaning and purpose what gives your life meaning purpose? why do you do what you do what's your you know most people haven't got a clue you know i, I know some people who are in their 50s and they still haven't got a i'm not sure what i'm going to do when i grow up um but what gives your life at this early stage in your life what gives it meaning and purpose and what what do you see is why were you put on the planet you know Mark Twain said the two most important days in your life the day you were born and the day you found out why have you found out why yet or are you still sit searching for meaning and purpose in your life
1: uh I'd say somewhere between the two to be honest I um I've always been aware how lucky I am to have survived what I did as a baby. Um, and I've always felt, I think they call it survivor's obligation to this, this sense that I should um, do everything I can uh, as an act of gratitude and uh, respect. And, you know, I've been lucky, but others, many, many more were not. So uh, that has always been the, the why behind lots of things. But the actual tangible um, proof of that, I think, is still coming. So I've done a variety of things. I have thoroughly enjoyed public speaking. I'm an ambassador for the UK sepsis trust and everything I try and do in, in those senses is to help repay that favor. But at the same time, um, I think there's, there's more ways to do it and I will hopefully continue to, continue to repay that favor, but I wouldn't say it's ever going to be in one specific way. No. Um, and so even in my professional life, so I, um, I only graduated from university last year Uh, I began my first class of 2020. What did you read? read I I studied biochemistry, and so that came from my fascination of healthcare and science. Um, And I was aware that I might (laughs) not—I think I can be anything, but a doctor might have been a push. Um, But you know, moving forwards, I wanted to, you know, help others save lives. And so, in in health, I now work in healthcare communications. Um, so, you know, working on, on bringing solutions to, to patients. And so that's another aspect. It might be extremely different from the public speaking and, and the ambassador work, but it's all geared towards uh, a big thank you, essentially. Um,
0: Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned the doctor who you described as who saved your life. Mm. Talk a little bit about him just for a minute, for a moment.
1: Yeah. Um, Parvis I'm fortunate enough to say we're still very good friends. um, And. When I was, well, I guess when I was ill as a baby, I was rushed into hospital and they weren't quite sure what. Um, another act of good fortune, that was that I lived in London at the time um, and St. Mary's Hospital um, in Paddington um, was not too far away. Um, he was just clocking off a long shift and saw saw me arriving in and immediately clocked back in. Um, and I think, you know, it was, if it wasn't for him and the sort of expertise of his team as well and the amazing nurses and other doctors I simply wouldn't have made it um but Parvis uh so he founded the pediatric intensive care units at Mary's hospital um and so I couldn't have got ill in a better place um it was you know in 1998 when this would have been would have been the one of the best places in the world to be to be ill as such a such a sick child but also it I think it cared in quite a holistic way because it uh, spent a lot of time speaking with um, my family about what I was going through, and you know, now um, is able to provide parents to be in accommodation, to be near, to be near their children. And I mean, my mother at the time slept on the floor of the hospital. But um, you know, it it really understood that the needs of a sick child goes way beyond just the child in the way that maybe in an in an older intensive care unit it would do. Um, so. He's just remarkable and he continues to um raise money for so cosmic is the name of the charity children of st mary's intensive care and um yeah he i was fortunate enough to be a crew member actually on his um four-person two-way relay of the uh channel so it was a 25-hour swim four of them you swim for an hour and then you get three hours out and they completed it in about 25 hours which is good going um and i mean this is all Harvest is in his uh, uh, mid 60s, I'd say now. So, I mean, it's remarkable how much he keeps doing it. And then he did a one man, two way version of the channel. Uh, sorry, two people, one way. And then uh, I think a couple of summers ago he did the one person, one way swim. So it's just remarkable uh, the way he continues to, to help others.
0: Two thoughts come to mind. Um, firstly, what an amazing guy. Uh, we, we had, if you listen to one of the earlier podcasts, um, there's a guy who did the Arc to Arc where he mm. left um, Marble Arch, I says Arch to Arc. And and he ran all the way to Dover. Then he swam the channel and then he cycled all the way to the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. Wow. Um, just phenomenal guy, definitely worth listening to that. And then the second one, you um, brought something quite personal to me in that you talked about how lucky you were to be close to St. Mary's. And, that if Parvis had been there, had not been there, maybe you wouldn't have lived and his team. Um, back on the 14th of January, my brother uh, someone tried to murder him and burn down his family and his house. and um, he's, he was taken to Queen's uh, Medical Center, which has the best trauma unit in the country. Mm-hmm. and had he not been taken there, he probably would be dead now. He's still fighting for his life to get better. But I just say sometimes you're very lucky, that, that where you happen to be the right place at the right time, even though the wrong thing has happened to you, like you were close to death with sepsis uh, and he'd just been, been stabbed by someone trying to kill him. Um, I think just sometimes in life uh, you don't know how lucky you are when you think you've actually been really unlucky, but it, it as you said, you lived and and other small babies with sepsis didn't live so
1: exactly and even to take it uh you know one step further the the morning started because my um by her own admission paranoid mother um you know i was i was unwell she took me to the gp uh the gp said there was nothing wrong with me uh and my mother wasn't happy with that as you know she she just knew that there was something up and at the same time she knew that i wouldn't be seeing the gp for long so she asked the taxi to wait outside and the, the tightness of the timings meant that if the tax, if we had to call another taxi, things wouldn't have worked out either. So there are all these uh, accidents, happy accidents along the way, um, which meant that I survived. And I think that's why you can't, you can, there are some things which were in their control, um, but there are all these happy accidents along the way. So I think being aware of the luck involved is quite humbling and you can't take credit for, you know, as a as a young baby, I mean I was I was just ill in hospital, but there were these incredible professionals and happy accidents along the way, which meant that things worked out one way. So it's not not, not any of it's on me, essentially.
0: Yeah. Sometimes, but but isn't it great that you've got very fine medical professionals like that? And and I'm very grateful to the medical professionals at Queen's Medical Centre in Nottingham mm. who saved my brother's life. Um, health quotient. Um, well, we're talking about health. Why not talk yes. about mental and physical health and well-being? um how do you keep yourself uh, healthy physically and mentally um and what have you done when you let your health slip both mentally or physically because um you know you, you handle it incredibly well but there'll be times when your mental health might be affected or there'll be times when your physical health might be affected because of your, your triple amputee's uh situation
1: yeah um mentally healthy I think I've been extremely fortunate in that that's always been I've been you know I'm healthy there I have an incredible group of family and friends who I've always been uh, confident enough to turn to and you know they always listened with open ears so that's been that's been um, a main factor in that for me but I think that physically has been something which is um, I've been learning a lot about as I've got older and I think the thing that I've learned recently which might sound surprising but my version of healthy is going to look very different for the rest of, for, for my life to other people's. Um, I will not be, uh, you know, running marathons. I don't think, um, and there will be things which I'm not able to do. But that being said, that does not mean that you write off uh, physical health at all. And there is lots that can be done. Um, over the first lockdown, I got quite into my running for the first time in my life, and I was running 5k, which if you asked me probably a year before, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought I uh, would have wanted to do, let alone could be. Um, and then even there are smaller things. Physiotherapy, I've had a really complicated relationship with. Um, I was told I should do it uh, after a few injuries when I was younger. But it's this, these menial tasks of lifting something very light up repeatedly or these stretches, which I kind of saw as giving in. And as admitting that there was something wrong and, oh, I don't do physio, so I'm perfectly healthy. Actually, as I've got older, I've realized that, A, what a ridiculous thing to be stubborn about. Um, but also, um, there's there's a real value in doing the, the small and routine and making that every day will have you know, I might be fortunate enough that I might not feel like I need to do the physio now, but in 10, 20, 30 years, I might be, I'll uh, hopefully be thanking myself that I, that I have done. So that's something which has probably come in the last couple of years, as opposed to my teenage years when I was a bit more defiant about, or I was almost proud that I hadn't had to do physio. Uh, and then, you know, your back starts to hurt or your knees to, or my knee dislocates and you think, hang on, is that a real, that's a symptom of something, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, and it's, it's been, uh, I have a very active group of, of close friends around me. And so I used to put distance saying, oh, I, I might not be in the first team, so I don't need to worry about X, Y, and Z, but actually learning that my version of healthy whilst different uh, is as important and, um, and uh, need, needs as much attention, I would say.
0: Yeah, no, and you make me think of a excellent book I read by uh, Maria Borrelius. And it's called the health revolution. I recommend it to you. I, I'm dyslexic, so I listen to lots of audiobooks. <clears throat> but the um, the health revolution, really the the research on lots of different ways of getting fit and keeping keeping well, is that they're thinking more now about a, an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, mm. just not just in food, but in uh, exercise and in sleep and things like that. And stress is inflammatory, and lack of sleep is inflammatory. And of course, my big thing has been doing mountain marathons, crazy sounds, and and, um, uh, I'm proud of the things I've achieved with those things and and distance, endurance distance and and airborne stuff. But what is coming out even in the military is they're saying when you get to my age approaching 60 that you avoid inflammatory things or what they call junk miles.
1: Yeah,
0: 5K is fine, but really anything longer than that which I've done a lot of over the years, it is actually very inflammatory for the body and it takes the mm. body a long time to recover from it. So just, I, I recommend it. The book's called Health Revolution. And um, it, it's well worth listening to. She went and tried all sorts of different approaches, a bit like sort of eat, love, pray. She experimented with these different things. But the, the bottom line that I took from it is that find a lifestyle and a living and a, a food that is, you know, anti-inflammatory means um. Uh, antioxidants against free radicals but it's a whole lifestyle approach a mental approach of course um IQ is the next part of the inspiring leadership compass and it, it's not just about iQ tests that's not what it's about at all it's really more wisdom and judgment and decision making do you do you have uh, some wisdom, good wisdom you live by and and who helps you when you have to go through decision making if you, you have your your real or your virtual sort of group of advisors who who are they and, and and how do they help
1: yeah i think in terms of wisdom um i've always uh been not sure if taught the right word but i've always known from a young age that the most what's happened to you is not that important and the most important thing is always how you respond to it mm. um and when it comes to decision making then it, it's almost quite easy because the you accept the things you know, which you have zero control over. And afterwards you then go, okay, well, X has happened and X is awful. What am I gonna do now? And I've, I, I do find myself saying, what am I going to do about it? An awful lot with any sort of any sort of um, decision or, or query really. Um, and then I guess when it comes to people that I turn to, um, again, I was very, I have an amazing, uh, family, but I went to the same school from the age of four to 18. Uh, and all of my best friends I've known for now, uh, 16 odd years. Um, and I think when you have that sort of long-term, uh, relationship with people and you know them inside and out, and, um, I definitely consult them on anything from the gigantic to the tiny. Um, and I think that a lot of people who, um, well, I'm I'm aware how fortunate I am to have that kind of uh, network around me, uh, and I see other people um, who who simply don't, and they kind of uh, when we've spoken about it, are very aware, uh, pointed out to me saying, God, if only you know, you have these people that you speak with on a on a daily or weekly basis who are able to give you so much value, and I um I could turn to some of them not for everything, but you know, bits of different people for for different piles of wisdom. So it's a broad group.
0: But but I think that's a reflection on you and your attitude. So a number of people I know, maybe um, in different difficult circumstances and they're always, I don't know, grumpy or feeling resentful or life hasn't been fair to them. But you haven't got that attitude at all. You have a lot of humility and humanity and a good bit of humor. You can laugh at yourself and with yourself i I think that makes a huge difference some people when they have a different situation they they think uh, what would in my case I think what well, would my father Paul who's been long killed when I was three he was killed you know what would what would my father do in this situation and that's mm-hmm. often been because uh, he's a very fine man and saved two people's lives which meant he died but they lived and i I just sort of think what would he do and some people have w w j d uh do you come across w w j d
1: no i uh... I, I can
0: take a guess at the J, but um, yeah, Jesus, I mean. What, what would Jesus do? Now, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm bringing a faith upbringing, but it's just thinking of someone who you respect and what would they do in the, in the circumstances. So I, I think that's, that's quite interesting. Um, and I do love your, what I would call a stoic philosophy that, that you've got, which is, which is, it's not the fact that you have a problem, it's how you respond to it. So for example, in the case of my brother, I can't help whether he, he lives or is, is very bad, uh, badly recovering, but what I can help is support his family and, and how I think about things and how I respond to the situation. So you've taken what I call a stoic philosophy uh, approach. I don't know whether you know that, but there's a very good book, a favorite of mine, The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. Uh, with some great bits of wisdom have you, have you t- do you realize that you've taken that kind of approach
1: I wouldn't say I have no um, but I'd be very curious to find out more because maybe it would uh, fill in any of the blanks
0: I think it would I think it would and it would also help you further as you as you come across whatever obstacles life throws in your way he's done a number of books one is called the obstacle is the way by Ryan Holiday like the summer holiday um, yes. but my favorite every morning I listen to the first thing I never listen to the news I always listen to that day's audio of the Daily Stoic about, yeah, you know, it's amazing.
1: You, be sure
0: um, you, you, between stimulus and response, you have a choice. Yeah. Stimulus, you can't, it's just happened. An event has happened. Events aren't, aren't either good or bad, but your attitude about them and your thoughts about them make them. So they are just, an event is neutral. It's an event has happened. Exactly. A hurricane is a hurricane, but whether you think that that's the worst thing that's ever happened to your life and you've lost your house or that, do you know what? thank God I'm alive, and I will rebuild and we'll find a way. And and you have a very, for me, a very inspiring attitude, I I, I must say, and and thank you.
1: What's been a little interesting recently has been um, there are some problems which there aren't, you know, with the response of, uh, okay, well, what what am I going to do about it? Uh, You know, when you reach a problem and the answer is there's nothing you can do, Uh, and it doesn't need to be a big thing or a small thing, but that's actually quite a satisfying point to reach as well, because once you get to that you go hmm okay <laughs> that's it then I guess um and so that's quite always I've always found that a very nice place to reach almost because if there's something you can do you do it and if there isn't well what <laughs> what what good is there dwelling on it
0: correct and, and it, it's like controlling the controllables and the uncontrollables let, let it go um and also in some ways non-attachment like a person had this view in the stoic philosophy that he had a beautiful vase that everybody admired. It was very expensive, cost, cost a lot of money, but he would always describe it as the vase is broken. And they go, no, it's not. And then one day, some months later, a friend picks it up and says, it's beautiful. And it slipped from their fingers and smashed all over the floor. Oh, I'm so sorry. He says, don't worry, the vase was broken anyway. And it's just <laughs> this, this attitude that it's just stuff, it's things. And, and really relationships and friendships are really what matters. And when my uh, late mother-in-law um, unfortunately went for a, a cancer visit to the oncology department in Nottingham, I chatted to three people there, an 18 year old, uh, a 35 year old and a 68 year old. And they're all, their, their views was very simple. They said, if anybody wants a message of what matters, it's not about the stuff we've owned uh, or even the things we've done or we can boast about, but it's about our friendships and it's about family and the close ones to you. and People only realize that when their life is ebbing away and we've got weeks to live and and those things matter. Um, Which brings me on to the next topic, which is EQ, emotional and social intelligence, Um, oft underrated by academic institutions who go just for the IQ. But but you've learned a good amount of EQ. I can tell already, it's been wonderful. The, The rapport skills you have are impressive for someone at 23. Uh, Many of them don't get it by the time they're 63 or some like Trump never get it at 73. (laughs) But what what have you done to um, develop and build your skills of rapport, listening, influence, emotional and social intelligence?
1: I think a lot of it has almost been forced upon me um, due to my disability. So as a young age, from a young age, I became very used to being asked questions and probably quite personal questions by people who might not know me very well. And I think that when you when you get used to that quite early on, um, it does build, you know, it, it is something that you work on over time. And the fact that I had to uh, a question that people will ask me, be it as soon as they've met me or later on, what happened to you? And you almost have to give them quite a long story. And for some people, it's quite an emotional story. I'm sure I don't remember being ill as a baby, but I'm sure that for my family, you know, being delving into that every time that someone sees you can be quite a a tough thing. And so I think that's built a huge amount of, um, I think it's helped me build rapport with people. And the fact that I'm so willing to share quite a personal thing about myself off the bat as soon as I meet people um, probably allows them to do the same in return. And as a result, you, Uh, you know I form good relationships with people um and so I'd say that that's that's been quite a lot of it um something I'm still working on is definitely sort of the uh the listening side of things I think that um I've got quite a um uh a stark sense of humor and I think often something I've had to learn really is that not everyone necessarily responds in the same way about things so uh, a joke for me um about about my disability, you know, would go down incredibly with my with, with with good friends, but also realizing that being so sort of upfront and direct with some things, it doesn't work with everyone, you know. And uh, I think learning that, you know, tailoring tailoring um, situations uh, is is really important. Um, so I'm definitely still working on working on those areas, but um, yeah, I would say a lot of it has been drilled into me from from a young age.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and your mother, Emma, she's she has a good level of, of emotional and social intelligence too. And, and then resilience, you know, people would go, well, what what Patrick's been through, he must be immensely resilient. How have you learned about resilience? And when you've had setbacks and disappointments and fallen and stumbled physically or mentally, how have you picked yourself back up again?
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's really good because I think um, people compare obviously you constantly make comparisons about your situation to others. And I think that can actually be quite a damaging, damaging thing to do, because you either think everyone's got it better, or everyone's got it worse. And, you know, it, it can it often reflect the situation you see yourself in, rather than the actuality of where you are. Um, but I, I do definitely think often that things could always be worse. Um, and I do find that quite that's worse personally, rather than worse. By looking at someone else to make myself feel better um there's quite an interesting it's a bit, little bit of a tangent but um there's an interesting area of public speaking which i'm particularly against and it's referred to as inspiration porn and the idea is is that you have a disabled disabled person usually quite severely disabled and people cry in the audience and they say what's an incredible speaker and but they only really do it because it makes you feel good about what you, you know, you can kind of pity this person in such a public way that that makes you, that's what makes you feel good about yourself. This, this sort of what you would describe as severely bad person saying things get better. And so I've always tried to veer into the complete opposite direction. And so the resilience isn't about, um, you know, comparing myself to say someone who's also missing an extra limb because that just makes someone who's missing the fourth one even worse. But actually it, it's kind of comparing uh, where you are now to previous situations that you might have been through and it's learning um, maybe, you know, how you thought then and what you've now learned. Um, so I find myself continually thinking, God, I wish I knew this before or using what I now know to sort of hopefully avoid future things happening. And so, by that, you don't sort of put others down with uh, with your new confidence and actually you hopefully build yourself up, which I think is quite an important distinction to, to make.
0: Yeah, and, and in fact, I, I was interested what bit of advice now you'd give to your I don't know, 13-year-old self. Um, knowing what you know now, what bit of wisdom would you share with your younger self at that crucial stage of your life?
1: I think I've learned it almost seems like it adds piece of advice because i do really enjoy testing myself and pushing those boundaries but i also think that i've i've had to learn that no one can do everything and i am especially in that in that bracket so i mean the rugby example that i said earlier is a fun example of, of trying to prove a teacher wrong but the, the reason that you want to do things is as important. And so if I was doing it because I wanted to push myself, that's incredibly important. But actually saying no, that I don't have to prove that I can do everything is, it would, is such a valuable thing for me to learn because I will be proved wrong. And if I spend my whole life going, God, I wish I was better at juggling, or like we're talking like really trivial skills, but things that I just physically won't be able to do, I'll end up feeling defeated and focus on the negatives so learning as i've got older that i don't have to do absolutely everything and if someone says i can't do something it could be a valuable challenge and a valuable opportunity but at the same time it might be actually quite a wise piece of advice yes. um has a, is quite an interesting one and i wouldn't want to sort of set it in stone because yeah. the motivational speaker who says you can't do everything is not a very good speaker right. but um But there is definitely some value in that to my younger, probably um, (laughs) hyper ambitious is the wrong word, but um, you know, I was uh, pursuing things which probably uh, I was better off not.
0: Yeah, I I think it is a a sound bit of wisdom and my own experience and that of others leaders that I coach and work with is that you can achieve amazing amount of things, you know, that all saying whether you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. However, there is a bit of wisdom not to push yourself too hard. There's a thing called goal obsession, and uh, Maria Santois was one of about three female mountain guides out of the whole world of these specially trained mountain guides, and she'd often turn back from a summit ascent in appalling weather and say to her to her paying client, "We're not going to the summit." And they go, oh, "Well, I paid you to get me the summit." and they'd part someone would pass them going to the summit and she'd say i don't think you should go to the summit the weather is getting really bad it's dangerous you mm. should not go no no we're going and they die but she saved her client who was disappointed but only knew later on when the other people they passed who were going for the summit died and and so there's there's a fine line on being being driven for a goal but not being obsessed to the point where you lose family, friends, or even your own life. And often people are so obsessed by things. They don't have car crashes themselves, but they see lots of car crashes around them and they never realize it's
1: anything to do with them. I completely anything. agree. So you're right. It is, it is a definite balance and it's an art to, to perfecting that balance. Um, but it's something that obviously is a skill that you try and build on and work on. And hopefully I'll continue to do so.
0: Well, I get the sense you will, which just takes me to the next one, brand, reputation, image, impact, BQ as you call it. Um, what have you learned from any feedback you've got from people and, and what do you do to have a sort of an attitude of uh, what, what Carol Dweck would call a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset and being prepared to be always work in progress?
1: Yeah, I think that as a public, I think a lot of my sort of learning in, the, in that aspect has come from my public speaking. Um, and it's been a really interesting journey how I've uh, changed what I've spoken about and how I've learned what people um, necessarily enjoy and and don't enjoy so I think my earlier speeches were um, a, a monologue about what I'd been through and I started to very quickly realize how that wasn't very useful at all for anyone and it was more important to tailor and learn that or teach rather. This is might be what I've been through, but this is the end result, and this is what you can learn from it. So no one is that interested in my story on its own, but it's the learnings and the teachings that come with it which are which are as important. Yeah. Um I think, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of other 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 examples to be completely honest.
0: That's a good enough one, I think. Mm. Just, and I would agree with you. You need people to go, me too, how that relates. I can see how I can take something from what Patrick's been through and apply that to my own life. So time is coming to an end. Uh, Just the last two or three questions. Legacy, Um, you're early in your life, but um, what would you like to be your legacy during your lifetime of the difference that you've made to other people or the kind of work you've done? What would you like your legacy to be? personally and work-wise?
1: Yeah, I think, um, start with work-wise because it's, it's a bit, it's an interesting one because I'm so, so um, early on in it. You know, I um, started my first job in August. Um, I, I really hope that I stay close to the goal of repaying the scientific community for how much it's done for me. So be that um, helping uh, with the advanced prostheses that I wear um, but also in, you know, I, am in a healthcare communications agency now, and it's helping to show the value of, uh, what science and technology can do to transform lives. Um, technology I've always been fascinated with because it has the power to transform, you know, the same way that this is an incredible piece of technology, which allowed me to cut up my food and tie my shoelaces. That was one thing, but the most valuable thing that this has done is the the change of mindset that comes with it and the possibilities that that the physical has allowed so that's that's been something really interesting and I think that if I can stay close to that goal of um in some way uh you know helping the helping science and technology uh and how it affects people's lives I'll be I'll be very happy but it could be in lots of different ways to be honest yeah Um, and I think that in my personal life I'd probably say um I mentioned it earlier but I've always felt like I want to give back to um uh, to the to the community to which I owe so much and so I, w- I would like the idea that if I can help more people and be them disabled or not to sort of realize what is possible then uh then I will have I will have done a good job but we'll see how how that manifests itself
0: Well, I think you will have impressed a lot of people and just a lot of lessons taken from this. I mean, it's going to be listened in 15, 50 different countries by a whole range of people on 10 different podcasts and from YouTube to LinkedIn and on my website. So they'll 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 learn from this. I'm sure of that. And final two questions. um, Book. If you were to uh, share a book that you've enjoyed recently and, and what you learned from it.
1: Yeah, I read, a, I read a, a great book recently and it was as a result of a TED talk that I'd seen. Uh, it's by someone called Josh Fur F-O-E-R and it's called Moonwalking with Einstein. Uh, and it is the account of a journalist who covered a memory competition in America. But he said, unfortunately, trying to cover a memory competition is one of those pathically, pathologically boring things you can cover because you're watching people read phone books. Uh, And so he decided to, in order to get an interesting story, he would try and compete in this competition. So uh, much in how the TV program in Sherlock, he has his mind palace. It talks about um, the power of different memory techniques. And uh, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I'm trying to get better and better at it. But it also speaks a lot to the way that our brains work. And I think people nowadays are very accepting of, oh, I'm very forgetful or so-and-so has a very good memory. But actually it's something that used to be worked on and trained the same way that a muscle would and actually still can be. So, um, I mean, again, I haven't mastered it yet, but the book goes a long way to teaching you how to sort of memorize phone numbers and shopping lists and decks of cards. but I enjoyed it so much because I think it showed you the value of what you can, what might seem impossible, like trying to memorize a deck of cards, actually through some quite simple training, um, mm-hmm. you can you can do relatively easily. So I enjoyed that and hopefully I'll be um, memorizing phone books uh, in no <laughs> time at all. I'll make um,
0: but I forgot my phone number.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, it was a fantastic, fantastic read, purely because it te- teaches you um, Uh, what what can be possible after quite a simple change in attitude as well, so.
0: Patrick, thanks. It's been great having you on the series, really enjoyed it. And I look forward to staying in touch over the years, so thank you.
1: Me too, look forward to being in touch. Thank you very much for having me.
0: So, now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material go to my website jonathanperks.com or follow me on linkedin jonathan bowman perks and there you can get access to my books uh, inspiring leadership and top tips for inspiring leaders but if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game raising your performance get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them it's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch, or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.